Welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> all right, welcome back. I'm introing. I've taken, I've taken the lead this time instead of Liz and I arguing and we get on the podcast as to who's going to intro. Thank There's you. Um, two meatheads on the call today. There's myself. And welcome also, Sam. <laughs> no, I'm not the second meathead. Yeah. And Sam, and then obviously Lizzie, co-host. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. For those of you that don't know Sam Pierce, who are you? What do you do and why do you do it? Or is it Samuel? Is it Samuel? It, yeah, on paper is Samuel. Um, <laughs> Samuel's, uh, actually, I used to say Samuel was, was my name when I'd get in trouble. That's a bit of a lie too. Um, it's more so people just call me Samuel if they wanting to be a smartass. Um, but yeah, so what do I do with myself? I'm, you know, I'm obviously trying to get big or die trying, um, if we're going to go in that path. <laughs> um, you know, try, you know, just living a life of a IFB pro bodybuilder, new dad. Um, she, Naya, my, my daughter, she turned one last week already. Um, so time, time flies pretty quick. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of doing that, that juggling act between that. Um, obviously, you know, full-time coaching is my, my career choice and, and profession there. Um, and as a, you know, I, I think my lifestyle is just kind of working around now, juggling between managing my coaching business. Um, I'm actually opening up a, my own gym, um, having a one-year-old, and obviously trying to get big. So, yeah, Got your hands full. That's three full-time jobs. Three full-time jobs, pretty much. Yeah, you, you can say. I mean, the the, the full-time job mostly for the babies at night when you're not sleeping, um, because even though she sleeps well now, like they she kicks and fucking. Rolls around and everything like that. She so. sleeps in the bed with you. Yeah, that, that, that's the only thing we fucked up with with parenting. Um, <laughs> are we going to talk about parenting at all? Like, I, I, I will admit, I, I think we've done a very good job because she's very calm and easy. Like everyone says, she's an easy baby. So that reflects off the parents because I'm pretty chilled out. Um, my partner's pretty chilled out too, Paula. But um, yeah, we fucked up with that. She she sleeps in the bed now. We can't get her out. So what a cock block. It's the best form of contraception, yes. <laughs> it's um, like it's like um it's almost like laughing in the face of the person that, that got pregnant to begin with, like ha <laughs> you, you should have known. You didn't use the appropriate well, it's, it's that, I, I was talking to Logan the other day, I said, Man, just don't don't fuck that up. That's the only that's the only thing I fucked up with with, with parenting was you know, because you know, at the same time, even though I keep saying, you know, we've got to get her out. At the end of the day, one day, you know, she will be too old where she won't want to sleep in her bed anyway. So I'm just kind of lapping up. Well, when she's 11, maybe. That's yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So I've got a couple of years to go. Yeah. Just get a smaller bed and she'll just fall out. <laughs> I, I'm the one that felt falls out. When we, went, we went up to Cairns and the last year and that's what happened. I got kicked out of the bed and fell dead set ass out. I did like the whole like, oh, like when I fell off the bed in the middle of the night. <laughs> I, I don't know. This, could, this is just my bias speaking. And you might have the same advice, but I feel like the dude, when it comes to the bed, is the one that always gets the short end of the stick. Well, Dean doesn't like to have any physical contact when we're in bed, unless we're having an adult cuddle, obviously, um, where like he doesn't want to cuddle while we're sleeping. So he just scoots away from me. And that's why you end up on the corner and I end up in the middle because I'm trying to cuddle. Yeah, but when you say Dean's pretty, um, his body temp would be very high though. Oh, yeah. You know, so... Even if he did want to, it'd more piss you off anyway. So just it'd, it'd reverse back on the opposite situation. Really. Except for winter, yeah, that's my problem. In winter, she wants to cuddle up because she's cold. Yeah, so I'm like, cold. Like, cold. Like, baby loves sleep, sleeping on me. For example, in the summertime, I'm useless because I'm I'm too hot. 
Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, poor on eyes. So we just stay on opposite ends now because it's like my body heat's just gotten more and more now. She can't deal anymore. So. That's funny. We're not, we're, 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 not, we're, not, we're not cuddlers when we sleep. So it's good. We've got that kind of agreement going on. Yeah, you'll be good in winter. So tell me about your gym. I haven't heard anything about it yet. Oh uh, yeah, I've kind of kept it under wraps. Um, I've only just told John like a week ago what I'm doing. Um, Owner of Worlds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I wanted to tell him first before I kind of told anyone because he's made who I am today, you know, and everything I'm kind of doing, I guess, naturally followed in his footsteps. So um yeah, I just want to show him the respect first and tell him first what I'm doing. But I'm not really going into competition with World Gym and other commercial gyms. Mine's more of a, um, a private facility, um, so kind of invite only. So it's not just going to be a studio for clients. It will be a gym with memberships. It's more just me calling the shots on who I do and don't do and don't want there. Um, that way, there's no fuckwits in there. There's no gossiping. There's no clicks. There's no that. There's no whatever it is. Um, yeah, I'm just going to be tight on my rules and because it, I don't really need memberships there for my my business model. Uh, memberships will help obviously with my income stream, but I don't really need it. So I, I can have the power to kick people out if I want to. So yeah, just make it, as I said, a, a place where hardcore people want to train. But if you want to walk around with your shirt off, you can also get kicked out as well, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> you can decide. You've got the asterisks on the contract. Exactly, exactly. So I, I can, yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, if, if word got out that, you know, I kicked someone out because, um, you know, they were sweating everywhere and, um, you know, they didn't bring a towel and spray down the benches and shit. And I kicked them out for that. And if word got around, people would probably think, fuck, you must run a pretty clean, nice gym. You know, so I'm pretty anal with that kind of stuff. Where it's hard at a commercial gym. You can't knock commercial gyms because there's 3,000 people coming in. How do you police who's doing this or that? You know, after time, it's just too hard, you know? Yeah, you got to build the culture of that sort of cleanliness real early. Yeah, yeah. So cleanliness and just, just gym etiquette, you know what I mean? Like, um, I find now these days, you know, when I was kind of coming up back in my day, uh, here we are saying that shit already, um, you know, the the older guys, the, the guys that have been there and done it, you know, they're respected a whole lot more because... You know, I, I would look at them and, 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 and try to, you know, mimic and follow in their footsteps where now there's just a big array of confidence and arrogance um, getting around. And I just don't really want that in a place where I'm training. I want it to be in a place where, you know, if an overweight chick's training, um, she wouldn't be afraid to go up to you guys and say, oh, can I have a spot? Mm. Where going up to you guys where you both have great physiques and, you know, you can obviously tell, tell you doing with your training. Someone might be very scared to come up and approach you guys for help in a commercial gym. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to kind of build that culture where I don't care if you're a pro or you're a fucking a first timer, like everyone's on the same field, on the, on the same level. Um, we just all have to be training hard and, and keep the right culture and environment. You want to avoid the intimidation that comes along with the gym. Right. Because, you know, he, the thing is, like, I'll bring a lot of people to a show, but um, I also have a shitload of people I train that, you know, I guess you could call them gen pop. But the reason why I take those people on and, and when I sit them down for an, an initial consult is I just kind of weed them out and say, you know, you got kind of four weeks to prove yourself, or like a four-week trial. Um, and if they're good, we go ahead, you know. So really, I, I don't care if you're an experienced bodybuilder because some experienced bodybuilders and pros that I've seen around train nowhere near as hard as these overweight girls coming in to see me or, you know, this, this skinny dude coming in and he's, he's just trying to get big, you know, and he's, he's going all out. And then I see someone with genetics who's a pro sitting on their phone talking shit the whole session. I'm like, I don't care how good you are. I don't want that energy in here. Yeah. Mm. One thing that we find at Flex Success is that not all the time, 
but sometimes really experienced people hire a coach because they say that they want to learn more and they want guidance and whatever, but deep down they feel like they already know enough. And so it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks when they're kind of closed off. Whereas the fastest, people, yeah, but, but the fastest way to learn is to forget whatever you thought you knew before you walk in the door. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Like it's, and that's just for coaching. That's any, I, I, I love learning, but when, whenever I learn, so I'll tap into, I'll, I'll listen to heaps of podcasts, obviously get them a reading and things like that. Even the stuff I, I might be reading or listening to, you tend to think like, oh yeah, fuck, I know that. But I've got to have to, I have to sit myself back and say, hold up, just forget whatever you thought you knew. You're going to learn something new. But you're right, you know, like they, they come in and they, they say, oh yeah, I just want to keep accountable and I want to, I want to learn something new, whatever it is. But you know, in in a subtle way, you feel undermined when they're not, you know, taking your advice or your your type of teaching methods. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, all questions though. I was going to say, there's asking questions and then there's questioning. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, like the question. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I, I, I say that. I, I say that as well. I say, ask me as many questions as you want, but don't question me. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, line because you can go either way and you don't, you don't want clients to not feel like they can't ask you the question because they're going to get berated and told, like, why are you asking this? But I think that also comes down to the way in which the question is asked a lot of the time. Like, if there's a genuine interest or if they really just want to tell you what they know. I don't know if you've read Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, that book. No, no I'm ready. Um, anyways, she, she splits personality types into, there's a million different personality types. Anyways, um, according to that book, one of the four personality types is something called the questioner. So these are people that uh, are happy to do whatever makes sense, but they're not going to follow arbitrary rules because of tradition or because someone said so. And I classify myself as a questioner, but I need to know why something is important. Um, and how something works in order to actually like fully commit to it. So I love when people ask me questions because that's how my brain works. Like I want to explain to you why it's important that you do this, this, and this, and why this particular thing maybe isn't so important if it's too yeah. difficult. So yeah. I'm all for answering questions in detail, but there's a difference between somebody, I guess, being like trying to subtly tell you that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> when when they're probably new. Yeah. Okay. And his. Um... Here's the other thing going on that is that when people don't ask questions, they will usually go ask someone else in the gym. Someone else in the gym I clearly don't trust. Someone else in the gym I would personally never go to for advice. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've done it before too. When I don't understand a method, the first thing I do is I'll go talk to someone and you look for that answer that you want, you know, um, and everyone's an expert. You know, everyone's always having to put their two cents in because if they can have one over... Uh, your coach or whoever it is because they're they're smarter you should have come to me whatever it is they'll take that opportunity but what that's doing is just causing further confusion with the athlete mm. so that's why i say to them i said there's no dumb question like you know so some of the some of the dumbest questions people thought they've asked me like i sit there and go fuck i didn't actually think of that you know so um yeah i i never think any any question is a dumb question is all relevant um but as you as you always come back to it you can tell when they're asking questions because they don't trust your teachings but look i i i dropped someone oh, probably two months ago now um and look sometimes you know when i, I giving giving this girl a break you know I, I felt every week we're coming up and talking and it's the same questions over and over again and i'm like hold up you obviously don't trust my methods and what's going on um you're not doing what i'm actually telling you to do deep down or the third option is that you and i just aren't clicking well together 
Mm. You know, um, for the first part, you, you do tend to think here and there, you're like, oh, you know, she's questioning me, she's never done. But may, maybe the, the fact is you guys just don't gel well. So that's why I kind of leave that four week kind of opening period to say, you know, if we're not understanding we're on the same wavelength and we're not getting some sort of movement happening on the, off that four weeks, you know, like really anyone who's done this long enough can see, like I said, you don't need to gain 20 kilos of muscle in, in four weeks, but with someone, you've got to be able to see something happening. You've got to be able to be, get familiar with something within four weeks. You know what I'm saying? And if um, not a physical result, at least commitment. Yeah. Sorry? If not a physical result within four weeks, at least commitment. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just uh, you know, it, it could take four weeks or, you know, obviously longer. Like, the longer you know someone's body, the better, obviously. But like, you know, I feel like I've done this for long enough now. I can see something happen within four weeks to give me some sort of data back to go back and say, all right, okay, we've got to attack on this or attack on that or whatever it is. But when you're at a standing point for four weeks straight and nothing's happening or you're kind of going backwards or whatever it is, and they're still asking you the same questions, to me, the evidence kind of points towards they're not really following it and they don't really trust your process um, and they're probably doing something behind your back. Mm. Always an interesting moment. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true because they, they, they theoretically should be the most motivated in the beginning, which is when you should see the most initial change, at least in attitude. Yeah. Um, but it is tough in a, a commercial gym because they have so much opportunity to ask a lot of other people and also see a lot of things. Like you may even just be coaching them one particular way on an exercise and then they see somebody else do it differently without any context as to why that may be occurring. And then immediately they may think you're doing it wrong. Whereas like at least in your own space, you're going to have control over that and in our space we have more control i'm all for people getting multiple influences it's not like you should like speak to your coach and your coach only and not learn from other people but the difficulty is when people don't have the necessary skills to appraise information and figure out what's valid what's invalid what sources should i trust what shouldn't i trust um have the fundamental understanding of the things they're trying to learn to figure out what's bullshit what's not and that's when it's challenging whereas if someone has that understanding they can ask someone oh well that advice obviously wasn't sound for the following reasons. Sometimes in the past I've had to, I've had to relieve myself of that because when I'm, when I'm trying to explain this over and over again, I feel like I'm micromanaging. Um, And then it could also come across like you're trying to defend yourself against someone for whatever reason. Um, But my, 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 my point is, is that I, I have to sometimes let the athlete go ahead and make a bad decision. Um, knowing where they're kind of going towards, and I'm like, all right, let's let's see what happens with you, you know. Um, and you you kind of you, you, unfortunately you have to make that call, and you know they're gonna. No, I've never really let anyone go fuck themselves up, but you know you just gotta let them go and make a few mistakes so they can go back and say, all right, shit, this is where I've gone wrong. If they trust you enough, they'll come back and ask you some questions, and that's where you can talk them through it and when and why, you know, why they went wrong, you know. Um, the education process for me is. You know, I make mistakes too. You know, we all make mistakes when we when we make calls with the athlete or whatever it is. But as you said, Liz, like it's it's understanding everything, asking questions as to why. Because I'm that person too. I love asking questions because in in do or die situations, um, say I'm working with you guys and I'm the client. If you guys have answered me substantial questions throughout the whole prep, for example, um, and you've always given me a proper reason why. We might have a peak week design in the final week and you might say, look, change your plans. I know it's short term, but we're two days out. I want you to do this instead. I'm not really going to sit there and go, oh, why, why, why? It's like, because we're in a, a, a tight situation. I'm going to say, you know what? These guys have, I, I, I trust these guys because they've, they've given me the, the adequate information throughout the whole prep. I'll ask them about this in my notes later on after the show. Hey, how come in the last two days we did that? You know, yeah. um, 
But yeah, if, if you're not detailing and, and answering those questions for the athlete, no, you, you will never build that trust. And I think that's when a client needs to see those red flags as well, because there's some coaches that are like, don't ask questions, do as right. I say. And I think that's the client's responsibility to perhaps look for another coach if yeah. the coach either can't answer uh, questions. Yeah, I, you know, I had someone work under me um, who was like that uh, with, with their clients. Um, and that's just a separate game they play altogether, unfortunately. Um, yeah, coaches like that that I've seen, the the clients already manipulated down that path anyway to fall under their spell, is, I guess, what I can say, you know. So they've already kind of groomed them up. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say in, in the bigger picture is that when people come to the coach, especially guys like yourself, me, um, other top names, whatever it is, they already know what they're looking for anyway. So I find if they're going to a coach who's saying, oh, don't ask me questions, do things my way. They're kind of already sold on that anyway. They think that's the way to go. And again, you have to just kind of let them make those bad decisions and come back later on and, and, and help them work it out if they come back to you. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one because if the coach is well known, there's the assumption that their results are the result of really high quality coaching. But it's not, it doesn't necessarily it be a numbers that's game. The case. Yeah. You know, like we, we, you'll see this all the time, like anyone can starve somebody if they just follow. Like, which is true. You starve someone long enough, they'll get lean enough. Yeah. Um, and then, then they see the picture and they go, oh, that coach must be good because they have XYZ athlete. And then you get on there and you're like, oh, this is actually not so fantastic. You know? um, I see all the time, like people with, with you know, the, the big talking point is great genetics. Mm. How hard is it to coach someone with awesome genetics? Pardon me. Um, to coach someone with, with great genetics, it's, it's, it's easy. You know, like I'll, I'll, when people come in, the, the hard part for me when I'm coaching someone with great genetics is when they're not pushing hard enough because you know they can go a lot harder because they've got these great genetics they don't push hard. But yeah, so, you know, it's hard for me to really um, get into a, to look at a coach's resume because they have all these outstanding athletes that are winning shows and things like that. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know, like, I can't really get into it too much because really I probably could have prepped in the same way or you guys could have prepped in the same way, you know, with your own methods because when you've got the genetics, they can kind of cruise on anyway. It's what you can do with the impossible clients, mm. you know, so the ones, you know, when you, when you see things like transformations and all that kind of stuff, like I had, like last year, last Arnold's proper, proper shows we had up here, um, out of the th 13 people I took to the show, I had two that didn't place, right? But, the two that didn't place, I was actually the most happy with. They were the ones I was promoting the most on my profile and stuff because, yeah, okay, they didn't really have the genetics, but if you kind of look at their starting point versus their ending point, you know, they came in the most shredded out of the whole group and everything. It was just structurally they weren't put together very nicely, you know. But, you know, it, it, to me, when I, I was looking at that and I'm like, yeah, you know, I was really happy with myself and how I could assist helping them change that type of physique because I got another person who was Natty in that same show. He's doing this next one coming up. Um, and nothing against him or anything like that, but he, he, we prepped with him four or five weeks out from a show. You know, mm -hmm. we only just started prep last week for the ones coming up in, in a couple of weeks. You know, he's probably going to take it out like he did last year and he was natural last year. You know what I mean? So guys like that, like how hard is it? You know, he just comes in like, oh yeah, what have you been doing? Oh yeah, sweet, we'll just do a bit of this. And I'll probably change his diet once or twice for the show and then he was coming dialed like he was last year. You know what I'm saying? So people would probably look at me and go, holy shit, Sam brought that guy in. But in reality, I've spoken to him twice in five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. For our listeners that don't understand what publication bias is, I'll quickly explain it and tie it back to what we're talking about. 
So in research, uh, when research gets published, some of that research is chosen biasly. So if a group of researchers were looking at um, how effective a particular supplement is and the results show actually it's not very effective, that's not very exciting for someone to read. This supplement is not really effective and didn't show any more benefits than the placebo group or something. Like no one's going to read that. They're like, man, we already know. But if, if a supplement comes out and it shows there's improvements in this area, this area, this area, and um, it's relevant to a whole group, uh, a, a huge population of people, that's really exciting. So that research might get published. So that's the bias in yeah. publication bias. And it looks like coaches um, also are biasing what they choose to publish. If they have 20 clients and four of them look epic and the other 16, is that right, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> um, look terrible. They're only going to be promoting the four and that's all you're going to see. And you're going to think, wow, this coach gets everyone peeled. No, only the four out of the 20 have gotten peeled. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just what they've chosen to promote. Yeah, I mean, you only got to look at a show to see that it's not possible for everyone to get peeled because like maybe 10% of the show. Mm. are really proper peeled. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah. Fuck it. You know, I, I think I'm, I don't think anyone's truly nailed their conditioning anyway. Like, I mean, we get more peeled, more peeled every single show we, we can do. I mean, I'm sure Phil Heath at one stage show he looked at himself and said, I've got to get more peeled, you know. Uh, but you're right, you know, if you just go to your, your standard amateur show, you know, 10% out of that whole show, and that, that's probably being very generous, Dean. Well, um, would you say they're fucking peeled to the, to the bone, you know? Yeah, so, where you're like ticking it off, you've done everything you could. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you know, coming back onto what you said, Liz, yeah, you're right. Like, people only post their highlights. Um, but at the end of the day, that's how social media is driven. So, is it the coach's fault or are they just using social media to their, um, to their advantage? Yeah. yeah. I just think it's important for uh, people who are looking on to understand that and not to choose a coach based on their highlights. Yeah. Well, interestingly, we've been talking about asking questions. I've always said to people, they always say, like, how do you find a good coach? Like one, you follow them, you see what information they put out. And then two, you should just book in a time to ask them questions. You know, because it's all well and good, like we said, looking at the highlight reel. But if you then get in and you don't gel with them as a person, you find them annoying to talk to, there's no back and forth. And also the questions you ask, you just don't feel comfortable with. And that's the easiest see, it's, it's good you say that. It's good you say that, man. I'm glad you, you guys preach on that because how I work, I, I do something very similar. I always organise a call or a, or, a, or a coffee if it's if it's face to face around here on the Gold Coast or Gold Coast region, um, and I just sit them down. Just, and that's exactly what I say. Is I just kind of just have a chat. Like you know, I don't really talk about coaching as such. It's just you know, yeah, do we gel together? You know, and and I say that to them. I say, look, if if we don't gel here, you know, um, and I never make a decision on the spot either. You know, I say, look, you go home tonight. I'm going to home tonight. We'll think about it. We'll touch base tomorrow. Um, you know, and you know, a few people have been cut in the past, but. Long term, I know they're going to respect me for it because they know I'm not just there to kind of take their money as well. Um, they know that, you know, if you're not going to be a good fit, um, it's not because I can't fit you in or whatever. It's just I just don't think long term we'll, we'll gel together. And ever since I've started really doing that um, in the last probably, say, yeah, two years, um, it really filters down clientele because, you know, at the start, you tend, you tend to think, oh, shit, you know, you know, money-wise, am I throwing away business here? Um but long term, you actually build a better name for yourself and respect for yourself when you are happy to turn people away. Mm. Yeah, we're pretty big on picking clients that gel. Mm. Mm. How do you choose a coach, mate? You've had a few. Um, to be honest, man, I actually haven't had many, many coaches. I've kind of just kind of stuck out uh, just long term with... I'd say in my time, I'd say I've had 
yeah, three three coaches. Um, I guess I've just been someone. I, I guess my first thing is um, where you know credentials. Where are they at? Type thing. You know, where are on the food chain? So do they have to be? A top bodybuilder, or are they bringing up top people, and um, you know, with with their type of methods, do they agree with what I would like to to go down as well? Um, not to say that you know my way is the best way, but you know, I feel I've done this kind of long enough. I know how my body works um, in a generalization. So, if someone was to come in and said, "Oh, you know, I think keto dieting is your best bet," it'd be I'd say, "Well, you're probably not going to be the person for me," um, and that's not being stubborn. I just you know, there's, there's scientific reasons as well why I don't believe in keto, but just for the sole fact that keto doesn't work with me anyway. But yeah, you, you get what I'm kind of saying. Like when I, when I first went to John, I was I was 20, 20 or 21. Um, and back then, you know, he was probably the main prep coach at the time with everyone. Um, his methods were very old school, but, you know, he was bringing people in very well. You know, he was on the Olympia stage. So yeah, I'll give him a crack. You know, I can kind of trust where he's kind of coming from. Um, what he was doing with my physique, um, as far as suggesting, you know, dominant carbs and heavy training and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, this is fitting into what is working well with my body. Um, when I went to Chris Aceto, same thing. Um, Chris Aceto is more so, I looked at him and, you know, if he's coaching all the, the top guys in the Olympia, um, you know, that's kind of good accreditation for me. But on top of that too, he also makes a lot of pros as well. So he turns a lot of people pro. So it's not just coaching the best genetics, what I was saying before. So he might have three or four people in Olympia lineup, which is quite big in Olympia lineup. Um, but then he'll also, you know, turn people pro or, you know, he'll get people to win pro shows and things like that. So I'm like, okay, even the people with the, without the best genetics are still coming up the ranks, you know? So um, that's how I kind of got drawn in with those guys. Um, I did a bit of work with Damon last year for the sole fact that I just... I've always liked heavy training, um, but yeah, but uh, I kind of, um, oh, well, he's actually moved overseas anyway, but again, just, just the styles there, I guess we never really butted heads. We just kind of just grew apart because, um, I keep an open mind about things, um, where I find, you know, Damon's kind of stuck in his methods. I'm yeah. just laughing at Liz's smile. <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Hay House fan personally. But it is very much, it is very much like he's got his way. Yeah, like you know, and and the, you know, you, he's he's um, achieved great results in in his time and with his clients and things like that in the past. You know, so I can't take anything away from him. But for me, I just felt like I was kind of fighting a losing battle um, just with my, with my own body. You know, like I've always trained heavy and hard. That's always been my my thing. Like my second favorite thing besides bodybuilding is powerlifting. You know, um, I can't powerlift now, obviously, but, you know, because you always have that mentality where you, you love watching the old Ronnie Coleman videos and all that kind of shit. That's where I sit in really well with Damon, maybe five years ago. I would have worked a lot better with him, but now my body just can't take that anymore. Yeah. And I'm training so well. Last 12 months has been the best 12 months for me in training besides my big quad tear. Um, but again, just execution and, and understanding that, getting deeper into that rather than just progressing with weight or reps there's other ways for progression, you know? Um, and when I've kind of taken an open mind to that, that's helped me a lot now, especially with these injuries, because they're really the fastest way you're going to grow um, over over volume, low volume, whatever it is, effort, anything like that is injuries. <laughs> you know, you can't get injured. That's the first thing over everything. If you don't get injured, that's the fastest way you're going to grow. So for me, I kept getting these pec tears and I was starting to get quad tears and just 
not not bad tears, but they're all just little grade one things that put you out for four to six weeks, little strains, you know. And on top of that too, even though you come back after four weeks, your confidence is not there. You're still thinking when you pick the weight off, you're like, oh, you know, am I, oh, fuck, am I going to go? If you're thinking about it during your set, it's toast, it's going to go again anyway, you know. So I just kind of had to take a back step for myself and say, hold up, I think I've just got to dip deeper into learning other ways for progression and just dropping my ego overall. You know, I'll tell everyone when they walk in the door, drop your fucking ego, but I had to do the same thing for myself. Mm. We're often we're often better um, coaches than we are clients of ourselves. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the coach's responsibility to be dynamic and individualize protocols to the client. And uh, some coaches that we may have previously spoken about have a difficult time adjusting their protocols to suit the client, and because they're like, "No, nah, this is the best way," and everyone must fall in line to exactly this, not realizing that there's a few different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. And yeah. As I said, we, we can go back down the training method again, you know, like I've, I've always loved barbell squats as my party trick. I can walk in and, and squat six plates, you know, in my prime um, just because Ronnie Coleman was doing that. And then afterwards, Ronnie Coleman would do his leg presses and I would go do heavy leg presses and he'd do his walking car park lunges. You know, I still, I know, I know all his workouts back to back, you know, um, and I think if he does that, I must do that. Well, no, you know, I, I learned, again, I learned that the hard way. And then you try and go and watch Jay Cutler, you know, and you're like, oh, well, I'll fucking, I'll watch Jay Cutler do his, or I'll, I'll do more high volume and I'll do this. And, you know, no, it doesn't work. It, it's the individual person. That's just, that's just mixing with my own stuff, let alone someone else. Then you've got to mix with, um, you know, the mentality of training, their, their biomechanics, their work schedules. There's so many variables to put in place that, yeah, unfortunately, um, the, the, the same method for everyone is, is, is never going to be um, substantial growth for the athlete, no. Mm. So, one, you mentioned before you started out with John at 20. How, how old are you now? I, I started with him, Dean, actually, when did I start with him? 22, bro. I think 20, 22, 23, because that, that was my last year of juniors in the NABA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, that, oh, yeah. And I, we, we kind of, we never really stopped coaching. We just kind of, you know, he just got busy with his world gyms. And um, in the end, he wasn't charging me for fees to be coached like the last two or three years. But the thing is, like, if he's got a meeting up in North Lakes and he hasn't turned up, I can't exactly call him and say, hey, bro, where the fuck are you? Because I'm not paying you. Do you know what I mean? So it just got to that thing where I'm like, look, I'm not, I don't want to keep putting that pressure on him. I don't feed his kids. World gym feed his kids, you know, yeah. so that's when I just kind of reached out to Aceto and I, I did some research on Aceto and it was more so his methods were very similar. John kind of old school, you know, um, didn't really learn too much from Aceto, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, I thought he was great. He, he's very, he's very good with his replies. So I remember at Arnold's, we're talking about, you know, he's like, yeah, send me photos every three hours. If I'm, if I'm 20 minutes late to your replies, I'm just in the waiting room now because my wife's about to have a baby. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's, I'll be right. I can do this on my own. It's all good. Just, you know, just making sure you have his. No, no. Send me, send me videos in, in two to three hours or whatever he said. You know. So, but yeah. So start off with John. Yeah, twenty. I'd say, I'd say probably say twenty two to twenty three. Yeah. And what did you weigh back then? Back then, um, it's funny how you talk. It's not like five, six years ago. It's kilos ago. Yeah. Where I'm going with this is I'm, I'm interested to see like, you know, what was Sam at 22 and then how old are you now? Uh, 30 this year. So yeah. 
30 in August. Yeah. Like what is what does eight years look like on the scale? So that people oh, okay. get an appreciation of um, so if I if I had to say that off season would have been about one one ten around there. Yeah. Mm. And then eight years later you're 135? Yeah, yeah. So what's that? Like I still count on my fingers, Dean. Don't three put kilos. me on the spot with math. Yeah, yeah, three kilos a year. Yeah, 24 kilos, three years. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say, for me, I, I, my thing, what I preach, and, and just for myself even, I just think if you're doing, you know, anywhere between one to three kilos of, of pure muscle, I'd say stage weight, of mm. stage weight in a year, um, that's, that's outstanding in my opinion. That's um, Especially repeatedly over eight years. Which, like, one thing that I've been saying lately is that I think what makes the best powerlifters, what makes the best bodybuilders, is their ability to do the monotonous shit repetitively for a very long time. Yes. Show up even when it's boring, even when you're tired, even when it's hard. Yeah, like I imagine every session you train isn't enjoyable, but sometimes you just do that. You know, not every, not every meal you've ever eaten is probably enjoyable too, but the likelihood is, is that you've nailed the majority of those for those eight years, and because of that, you've managed to put on that amount of weight. But so you you got you got to turn up, yeah. You, you, it, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, you you got to you got to turn up. Um, that's been my biggest thing, you know. And even you know, one thing I learned with Aceto was was taking more rest when I had to. So it's like you don't have to train um, if you're not feeling um, right to train. You know, like don't don't be hardcore. If you've got to have a day off, so you can come back the next day and train harder. I'm like. Actually, wait, that makes a whole lot of fucking sense. So I'll, I'll do that. But it's more so if you don't train that day, make sure your diet's fucking spot on. Make sure everything else you can do um, to your to your abilities is spot on. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's been heaps of sessions. You know, I've, I've got to go train legs after you guys. Fuck. I really don't feel like doing that at the moment. You know, especially Does anyone after- ever feel like training legs? <laughs> well, it's hard, Liz, because I had two to three weeks ago, I was really at my prime uh, for this, this off-season. I I've just... Try to fight fatigue. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a good topic, actually. Um, last two or three weeks, I've been pretty well, mostly in bed um, from fatigue, just the, the stresses that I'm kind of juggling a lot at the moment. Um, but again, like, if I just took a couple of days off here and there, would I put myself back that far? Not really, you know. So turning up sometimes can also be your, 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 your worst enemy. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, I think... If, if, we're, if we're talking about substantial growth, um, people look at me and they say, oh, but hold up, one year in the Arnold's, you, you put on 12 kilos in a year, right? Well, I also over-dieted for my first Arnold's by probably four or five kilos. Like, I wanted to make sure if I was going to be um, the smallest on stage, well, I just got to come in the most shredded because I can't really get picked on for that. You know, so I probably over-dieted a good four to five kilos. Um, and I came in a bit fuller for the following year, which is probably an extra two or three kilos on top of that. So if you actually take that away from each other, maths-wise, we're still falling in that same ballpark of that one to three kilos of, of proper stage weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the average over time that I'm interested in most for most people because a lot of people lack the foresight to say that 200 grams a week over a year is 10 kilos. Because 200 grams a week seems pathetic. But I mean, you, I mean you're not going to do 10 kilos every year. <laughs> that would be fucking nice. Yeah. But, so um, many cuts, maybe. Yeah, but like there are going to be years where you peak a little higher and do four or five, and then there's going to be some years where you only get one because maybe that year you've had some more injuries or you've had a baby or you've opened a gym or maybe done all three within 12 months. So then what's your, what's your guys' point of view then? Like, um, what's your point of view with 
when you're reading like reaching like a, a plateau or fatigue, right? Where you'll have a guy like myself, right? I'll, I'll build myself up to, I, before I was run down, I was sitting about 136, 137, somewhere around there. Um, but as we also know as well, um, you can still keep putting on progressive weight, but do we know that's still going well in, the, in that manner, you know? Uh, sorry? Sorry, I thought it was your question, how do you know if the weight's the weight that you want? Yes. So we're, we're, I guess what I'm saying is if, if we're going up a certain weight, right, and, and we're, we're building nicely and we start to kind of reach like a plateau fatiguing um, spot, you know, and we're not really, the weights aren't really starting to go up anymore. We've had a few exercise change rounds, nothing's still really happening. What I like to kind of bring people through is, you know, bring in mini cuts and kind of reset the body, give the, give the gut a bit of a break too with the amount of food that's coming in. Um, just give them a bit of a mental reset too. Drop some of the, the fluff off because we also know as well that although we can have majority of the weight looking pretty good, um, you know, dropping a lot of that, there's still a lot of water and fat that's still in those areas. Um, and that's what I'll tend to do. I'll kind of bring people down that, that one step a little bit so they can kind of progress forward another two steps. Yeah. Which it's funny that I bring that up because as I said, I've been down out the last two or three weeks and I'm like, maybe I was actually kind of due for maybe just a, a little couple of week cut myself. And just me being in bed sleeping this whole time, um, funny enough, I've dropped all the body fat and water from my body real yeah. quick. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Now I'm actually hungry for my meals again or whatever it is, you know? So it's, it's funny, like even though I preach these things to clients, I kind of did it by accident on myself. But I'm keen to hear what you guys what you guys think on that. Do you guys have a similar approach when you start to see, um, you know, uh, a sticking point with with a client? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you can either look at this proactively and try and prevent this from happening, obviously, with like different feedback metrics, or you can do it reactively. In that, once fatigue starts to accumulate, I, I liken it more to a step back, less less of a step back and more of a step sideways method. So like if, if we're doing a progressive, slow, linear model where we're going to increase calories over time, try and increase weight, push more training, whatever, all of those variables, you have to appreciate that like your recoverability is kind of like a silo, right? Like you have a certain amount of, of recoverability that's limited by your silo and your reservoir of recoverability. And as you get more and more into the depths of training and eating more food, that silo starts to accumulate fatigue. And there's going to be a point where you're going to have to lift the valve, let some of that fatigue out so that you can then put more effort back in. But instead of having to do, say, four weeks backwards or three weeks backwards, I would rather take like a week for a sidestep, fully rest, recover, do whatever you got to do, and then you go forward again. So like every four to five weeks, you might be taking a step sideways, but the model is still like consistently progressing in a forwards direction. And, and the way that I would liken the, the language that is that you kind of like by taking a step sideways, you're buying more time to walk forwards as opposed to charging forwards like most people do. And then they have to just stop and walk backwards to pick up the fatigue. So they're forced to because of an injury. They're forced. And generally when it's forced, it's, it takes longer. It will take two, three, four weeks. Uh, but if you can do it somewhat proactively, it'll only take a week. And then by the time again, like the foresight is, is the biggest thing that's important here is that, you know, if we're doing a four week block with a, every fifth week, you kind of take a bit of a sidestep where you don't train as hard. You don't train at all. Um, you know, like five weeks, that's, that's 10 efforts, 10 weeks out of the year that you might be taking a sidestep. But if you crash and burn yourself every 10 to 15 weeks and you take four weeks off, you've only got to do that three times. You're already taking less time off than what you would do. Using, using myself as the example, I know exactly, exactly what you mean because that's where 
if you look at like, you know, me going stronger every single week um, as, as an athlete, um, squatting heavy, pressing heavy and all these things, but getting these little micro tears every six to eight weeks, well, if you look over the course of the year, you're out of action for so much longer than what it is, as you guys said, just a little bit extra rest. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I put my hand up again, that's exactly what's happened to me in the last two or three weeks when all I had to do was, I guess, in, in your terminology is use a sidestep, um, where if, if I use that, uh, calculated a bit better, I was a bit more proactive about it, I wouldn't be in the reactive situation and trying to build myself back up now after two or three weeks off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a fan as well. Like, I don't know about you guys with deload weeks versus rest weeks, whatever it is. I'm kind of open on both. Um, but for me, me as a person, um, I, I feel like I've got to have the full week off because if I deload, I come in, um, I don't know. I feel like when I want to come in and train, I want to come in and train. I want to go and that's, that's my place to go in and, and train. If I'm going into deload, I'm kind of going in knowing, you know, it's not going to be a progressive, um, you know, a mad session and I'm walking out feeling good about myself about it. It's one of those things I'm like, oh, I just got to kind of go get it done. I'd rather go get something done that's kind of strenuous where I've got to go hit a squat, for example, on my horizon. I've got to hit this today. Mm-hmm. That's something I kind of look towards. So mentally for me, um, as a person, you know, having a deload, you know, I, I don't really get too much out of it. I just, if I just stay out of the gym, rest the body completely, it gives me more time to actually go do uh, resting or recovering things like, you know, getting more sleep and going down to some ice baths or getting a massage and all that kind of stuff. So you guys as athletes, like what's the approach for yourself versus a client? Well, for me, I'm not trying to, I, I'm doing jujitsu at the moment actually, as well as just lifting weights. So I'm not trying to do anything um, with my body other than maintain what I've got. So I don't, at maintenance volume, I don't really need to take deloads personally because I don't train hard enough to accumulate enough volume to need to recover from it because I'm just maintaining. So no client comes to me trying to maintain what they've already achieved because <laughs> no one gets coaching for that. So sorry, 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 I just want to touch on that as well. What about jujitsu itself though? Because jujitsu on the CNS is very strenuous. So you and on so, the emotion. It's emotionally strenuous. So in your case then, uh, seeing as weight training wouldn't be, um, you know, your your primary source of exercise now, jiu-jitsu is, do you take, um, you know, other other ways to kind of deload or take a week off with jiu-jitsu instead? Mm. See, this is an interesting one because when you're trying to learn a new skill, we need frequency to be high but intensity to be low because risk of injury is really high when you're trying to learn a new skill. Um, and this all is fabulous in theory, but in practice, when someone's trying to rip your head off, you can't keep intensity low. Like you need to match their intensity. Otherwise, if your arm will fly across the room yeah. um, in an aggressive arm bar. And so I've had a really hard time with kind of lining up uh, theory and practice because I've had to take times off because I've hyperextended my um, elbow in an arm bar that I didn't tap out in time for. Or like people keep jarring my necks in chokes and stuff like that. And so I... Um, you don't I, tap out, hey. Sorry? You don't tap out, hey. You're one of those ones where they like, they sit there going blue and they're like, tap out. And you're just like, no, I'd rather pass out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I've gone black a few times refusing to tap out. Not because I think I'm too good to tap out, but I think I can um, get out of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I reckon I can, I can wiggle my yeah, head. That's exactly what I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. The people that, that, that don't tap out, it's not because they're stubborn. They're just... They're not stubborn in that way. They're stubborn in the way that like, I, I can get out of this. It's like, 
you got to tap out. If you're going to break your arm, you're like, no, 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 I can get out of it. I can get it's out always out. a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would want to, um, I would want ideally to keep frequency high and intensity low. So I wouldn't really need to deload through jujitsu until intensity gets higher when I go up through the ranks, like my blue belt, my purple belt or whatever. But it's not really working out for me. Intensity is really high and I'm having to take breaks because of injury. Yeah. Um, and right now, I, I have actually just taken four weeks off um, since Christmas because my wrist just wasn't healing. And now that I've come back to jujitsu, I'm, I'm doing girls only classes and I'm doing one-on-one -on -one private classes with black belts. And because all the carnage happens when you roll with other white belts, because both of you don't really know what you're doing. You yeah, accidentally right. like kick people in the face and, you know, <laughs> so I'm doing what I can to try and um, manipulate intensity or have more control over intensity. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So what are you then? Uh, I pretty much deload. Uh, every four to five weeks, like after four to five weeks of training. So it's the fifth or the sixth week. And I do a bit of a hybrid, man. I'm the same as you. I think deloads like in regards to going in and just doing less are an absolute bore. Um, and I'm also um, someone who likes to train pretty much on the limit in regards to close the proximity to failure. So my fatigue accumulation is really high, even though my weeks of effort are quite short. Um, and I find that I need rest. So I take like at least five days off. And then if I if I can go do a pumpy session like with people that I like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'll do yeah. that for the social part of it, which I really enjoy. Um, and then I also because I train the program, I don't train with anybody else at any other time unless I want to do my program anyway. So uh, it's the only opportunity I get to train with friends. Um, so I usually do like five or six days full rest, one to two days pumpy, and then I'm back into it the week after. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I'll do a hybrid for different people depending on what their their mentality is like. Actually, a big portion of Dean's deload is complaining about how tired he is. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it ruins me man like by the time i get to that week i just want to sleep yeah. i don't know how you walk around at 135 because the first time i push my weight up and i'm like forever tired no see i was i was more uncomfortable at 115 120 um now honestly i, I don't feel i don't feel like i'm the weight i am mm. uh, whether i've just maybe just gotten used to it um but yeah every time i've gone for a weight push i, I feel like dog shit um the only times as i said like is when i maybe like the first week i come out of a, a week off i'm a little bit slower just because i'm my cardiovascular is not as as high because I, I do think you know even just for that week off you still um you know just rest that bit when you come back and hit a heavy set again you're like oh shit okay all right Ooh. right okay so you just got to kind of adapt yourself back to that again but no like I, for someone sitting in my weight because i've always kind of kept my flexibility there um I've always kind of kept mobile. I've always kept my, I've always, I've always put a big emphasis on that. Um, it definitely helps with just everyday productivity. Um, so I still keep kind of coordinated for some of my sites. Yeah. It's actually probably an interesting like uh, discussion in that. I think a lot of people look at big guys and see it as this kind of um, like, Oh, that's really cool. And they think like, I want to be like that. But not a lot of people really understand what is required to be as large as someone like yourself or another pro and what that impact may have on your life. So like how much food you have to eat, the fatigue, the time that it takes you to eat. The things you the can't training, do. The like, things you can't do. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I brought this up the other day. I think I was talking to someone the other day about it. Um, the only thing that pisses me off now being a, a pro bodybuilder is even the things I'm allowed to do, I'm not allowed to do. Like I, I can't go kick a football. I can't go play a game of tennis. 
I can't, you know, and I, I can, like, I feel like I'm, I'm not that unfit um, and I'm still quite mobile while I'll still be able to do those things, but one tear and you're gone, you know, and like, that, that, and, and you know the horror stories we're talking about where that's the tear I'll do it with, not a heavy squat where I get a strain here and there or whatever it is. I know it's going to be running for a ball when I go and, and tear my hamstring rough, but, you know, um, so you kind of wrapped in bubble wrap, which is really, really annoying. Like I, I, my, my favorite, um, if I, if I do cardio back when I was natty, um, actually that's another coach I had late Norton years ago. This is when I was back in the natty days, 10 plus years ago, but he was telling me to do, um, hit cardio back then. So, you know, like, um, beach sprints and all that kind of stuff. I love that shit, you know, and I, I would do that just now once a week, just cause I like, I like all that kind of stuff. But, you can't do any kind of athletic performance-based exercises because you're just limited. You can't take that risk. You know, anyone else in a sport, say for you, is like if you tear your pec off the bone, you know, as long as it recovers, you can go back and start doing jiu-jitsu again. But then if you want to go step on the stage, you, you know, and you want to get to a high, high level, people would look and say, oh, she's got that torn pec. It's going to, yeah, it's going to affect her look on stage, you know. Yeah, so, you can flip it immediately. Yeah, but also because you guys are both training at such high intensities, um, it eats into your recovery. If you're going to go play a game of tennis, your legs are probably not going to be recovered by the time it's you go around yeah. to your leg session again. Yeah, you know? yeah. There was something you brought up before that I thought was actually even interesting too. Is that yeah, people look at Ronnie and like, really, what did Ronnie do? He probably ate, slept, and trained. So like everything outside of his his work effort, work work ethic in the gym was centered around recovery. You know, whereas then someone like yourself, even someone who's aware of what they're doing, just the sheer part of having to worry about the emotional stress and the, the financial stress of the gym and all of those types of things, people really miss, um, uh, misunderstand like how much of an impact they can have on that accumulation of fatigue. Well, he, he's and then that's when you've got to train less, you know? Yeah. And, and I was, it's exactly what I was just going to say. Here's the thing. Like people look at the old Dennis James videos and I, I looked at that too. And when you see him train twice a day, well, now I kind of don't really see the, the point of what he was training. But back in the day, I looked at him and go, I would love to do that. It's just my, my, my work schedule and I always run down. I was trying to train six days a week, twice a day. I did it for about a year, year and a half, you know. That's twice. And really, you know, that was when I, you know, I was getting my most pec strains. Um, I wasn't a... I progressed nicely, like, over the time, but really I could progress a whole lot faster, you know, because really you're just coming in and training because, again, you're being your own worst enemy by just turning up. Um but again, when it, when, it, when it comes back to it, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I figured out that, you know, for me, a massive week for me is training is, is five days. And people say, what, you only train five days? I'm like, five days, like, I'll, I'll refuse to go to five days for myself. The perfect amount for me is four. Um, and then I'll have some sort of frequency muscle I want to throw in there to, to touch up on. And then I'll, I'll throw that in as well, you know. Um, but, yeah, pe- people don't understand that, you know, Guys like Kevin Lavoni, right? I was talking him backstage at, his, at my first Arnold's, his last Arnold's, um, and we were the first both back there. And um, he's like, man, you know, uh, what are you doing to yourself? Blah, blah, blah. I was telling him what he says, man, when I was competing, when I was your age, I was sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. Holy smokes. Oh. You know, so it makes sense because, you know, I, I've got a kid now. You know, and she's grown so much in a year. Why? She's fucking slept the whole time. <laughs> it makes sense. You just you know? set your schedule up with her. 
eat, sleep too. Because <laughs> that, that's, that's why COVID was great. I made great gains in COVID because all I had was a, a squat rack and a leg press downstairs. Um, and I was killing it because what I was doing was, was just training hard three to four days a week. And because she was just born, I was just copying her sleeping and eating times. Yeah, you need to write a thing called the Naya Protocol. And then anyone that you get that's fresh and new that you know can just sleep, eat, repeat, that's what they get. Yeah, I'll do it on the night and night break while making an e-book or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's the best. How to grow like a weed, sleep like a baby. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, yeah, that's what people forget. You know, these guys in the US and these other top pros, they don't work. When you go back and, you know, Kevin McGrady was, you know, sleeping at 12 to 14 hours a day, right? Um, that's what people forget. Like, you know, when we're trying to put all this kind of stuff together, working every day, like I'm up every day at 3 a.m., you know, and I'm, I'm going to bed at, trying to go to bed around eight, you know, gets pushed 8.30, you wake up through the night, like you're not sleeping 100%. Yeah. Um, even with a sleep apnea machine and things like that, you're still not getting the adequate rest what these other guys are getting. Yeah, you know, the other day when you're not working, it's such a bigger factor. I personally don't know if I could actually do that though, because bodybuilding's always been a, a hobby for me. I actually get a very great passion from coaching and helping people. Bodybuilding's just always been something, that thing that keeps me accountable and keeps me working hard into what I want to do, you know? So with my work, um, my businesses, my family life, whatever it is, bodybuilding, I feel that discipline can be changed into everything else as well. You know, so I, I find if, if you're, if you're staying accountable and you have structure and you're always looking to progress, which we're trying to do in bodybuilding, if you apply that to every, to everyday life, to jujitsu, uh, to your family, your business, whatever it is, you always succeed. So I feel like, Bodybuilding will never come over to me and be that full-time thing for me. I just don't think I'll be able to keep still as such. I just feel there's too much potential there from the discipline of bodybuilding that if you just put it into bodybuilding, I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to that um, because I didn't start jiu-jitsu because I wanted to. I used it as a tool. I have PTSD from domestic violence and anything to do with violence just freaks me the fuck out. And so I wanted to expose myself to violence, which is why I started jujitsu. That's really cool. And um, this is why before Dean was saying like it's emotionally draining. It, like <laughs> so is for me. Fucking hell! Like I don't, I don't love it. But I think even for and, a normal person to feel like they're gonna get fucking choked for an hour long straight or their armbar, like that's a high sort of like you know your your stomach's in your throat sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's exhausting. So I feel like my experience with bodybuilding before I started jujitsu really helped me because sometimes I have really hard like bodybuilding sessions in the gym. And I know I just need to get through it. No one's going to die. It's just going to suck at the time. And, and that really helped me get through really hard jujitsu classes mm. or like, I don't, I don't want to go back because like I'm scared every time. Mm. And, but I know that like bodybuilding set me up with consistency and like just showing up, yeah. putting the work in, um, you know, so I, I, I totally relate to, the things that you learn in bodybuilding transferring to other areas. This is where people do it for the right and wrong reasons. You know, that's why for me, bodybuilding, people say, oh, you want to be a pro and whatever it is. I, I never really wanted to be a pro. I never really wanted to, I never thought I'd be here. I never thought ever I'd be here. I just, I've just kind of gone with it. That's why when bodybuilding stops to me, it stops. It's my passion. I love everything about it. You know, it's, 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 it's part of my career. It's been a massive part of my life, but the day it stops, um, provided it doesn't stop because of injury or something like that. If it just, you know, it just stops because I kind of get to my point. I'm like, you know what? I've kind of reached my max here. It's time to hang it up, you know? 
Um, I'll never be disappointed with that because I've already put everything into it more than what I've ever had before. Um, I'll always be a bodybuilder, always. I'll always train, always try to progress in my lives. I'll always try to, you know, eat, eat my standard meals because keeping those things intact all the time, that sort of structure, keeps me in line with everything else. Mm-hmm. What happens when bodybuilding falls out the window for me personally, everything else falls out the window. I become very unorganized. I'm late. I'm behind on things. I don't want to do things. I become quite lazy. Um, you know, so I use it to that advantage. It keeps me in that thing to say, you know, that, that's my grounding for myself. That's my own self-care. Because people, because I find there's two types of bodybuilders. There's the bodybuilders are doing it like myself for self-care and the ones that are doing it because they're selfish, right? They're doing it. The ones that are selfish are the ones that are doing it because they have insecurities and they're trying to, they've got to prove to everyone they're the hardest worker in the room and all that kind of stuff, um, which is great. You know, like, you know, if that's what you've got to do for yourself is what you've got to do for yourself. But for me personally, I just don't, I, I never think that's a good end result for that person because you're, you're hiding a lot of insecurities there that are going to come out when bodybuilding finishes. Um, that's where people revert to drugs, they have breakups and all these different things that go in the wine. And they, people, a lot of people blame on gear as to why they get so fried. When in reality, I just think they had some major insecurity issues that they never actually probably dealt with. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, like my, what people don't understand with me, like my most hated part of the whole prep is, is shaving my body and putting the tan on. Like I, that, that, couple of days before the show like that's the only time you hear me complain in the whole prep ever since all you smile the whole time you never complain like you know you must be tired you're still training up because i love all that kind of shit you know like i love that that challenge you know but yeah the, the whole thing of you know getting up on stage and things like that like you know people say you're a good performer it's like uh well i'm more just there to enjoy it for what it is but bodybuilding itself as i said like that's that's not my my main love behind it my bodybuilding is what's getting me out of jail Bodybuilding is what is, you know, changes the person I am now to have worked hard. Like, I've got a civil engineering degree. Yeah, I never used it. The only reason I fucking got through it was because I was competing at the time. World Gym was across the road. And I had that routine of finishing work in the nightclubs, going to uni first thing in the morning, going to train on my break, coming back to uni. Like, I love that whole that whole lifestyle of uni. Like, I hated the degree. I realized when I finished it. But I did it because I, I love the lifestyle. But just, you know, keeping in that nice progressive routine. Mm. yeah so it's, it's, it sounds like bodybuilding for you has been more about like an enhancement of life as opposed to a band-aid for your problems exactly bro and that, that's what i mean like when, when you're when you when you demonstrate self-care um which which i'm which i tend to do where i put bodybuilding first for myself in that way um it allows me to help others so i become far more structured to be there for my family my daughter you know um, my clients and all that kind of stuff. Like it gives me more of a purpose to want to, to want to help others. Mm. Um, where selfish is, you know, if I, you know, missed two or three years of her life growing up because I had to get in the trenches and, and, and work hard and, you know, and, and become a bodybuilder for what? Like, what have you got to do with that? You know? Um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to be one of those guys that are going to walk around and say, Oh, there's more things to life than bodybuilding because bodybuilding to me is life. I just don't think competing is life. Mm. That's an interesting distinction. I'm not sure if I've heard it said like that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. No, it, it is. Dean always calls himself a hobby builder. That's <laughs> true. It, that, that, that's a sick name. That's a fucking bad name. <laughs> when, when you put it like that, I guess that's my message. I've been trying to get the word out to you guys. Is it, It's a hobby for me. I just, I love every fucking bit about it, you know, but it's a hobby, you know, like, so, you know, if, if I want to go, 
there's a lot of things in the past where I, I did sacrifice a lot of my early youth to kind of be the, the hardcore down to earth bodybuilder. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, when I kind of fell down that path, I missed out on a lot of things too. When I look back now and I'm like, I probably could have done those things. Mm. I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't for that reason. I don't regret it. It's just I look at those things now. Now I know how to kind of organize my life around it. Because as I said, competing is not everything. Um, but bodybuilding is. I, I think um, if, if people can have the, to steal Broderick's term for drug use, the longer, lo- the longer lower, slower approach, even just to their bodybuilding careers, to use that terminology, the far better off they'll be both as a person and as a bodybuilder too, because you're not trying to rush on muscle, which never works. It means you don't have to drug abuse, which is... I, I came back from the Mr. Universe, I won that in Greece, 2013, and I'm like, fuck, all right, okay. I got what it takes. Like, if I can win an overseas show as an amateur, um, I'm going to pursue this sport. I'm going to have a crack at this, all right? That's what I said to myself. So when I get back, I know I know what all I got to do. I just got to bump up loads of gear. Mm. So I came back, two grams of test. I remember I was 22, 23, so I, um, like two grams of test, a gram of fucking Decker, um, hundred hundred D balls a day. I remember that. I was hundred D balls a day. Um, and again, that was listening to you know I won't drop names, but you know. Some of the coaches that are still around today that call themselves the best fucking coaches in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, they're the ones who give me advice, kind of do all that kind of shit. And I'm like, yeah, that's all I've got to do. You know, I've just got to do that and just run heaps of shit. Well, I came back after I saw John, like probably it's like a few months later. And I was like kind of proud and so on. I'm like, yeah, bro. You know, as in like, I figured out what you've been doing. <laughs> I'm here to tell you I'm all in, right? And he just kind of looked at it like when I told him, he did his laugh. He's like, Say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, man, I, you know, I want to take it to the next level. He's like, all right, are you eating properly? I said, oh, no, my appetite's pretty shit, actually. He goes, yeah, you got a lot of acne on your back. You, you, you know, you're sleeping. Just ask me all these questions. And I could tell when I was answering these questions, I was feeling dumber and dumber and dumber. <laughs> I knew where he was going with it, you know? And I'm like, oh, fuck. So it, it's so funny when, when I hear people say shit like, oh, Sam Pierce must run shitloads of fucking gear, you know, because I'm like, man, like, I still remember that. And I'm open to saying, I can say it to whoever I want, you know, like I, I tried it once and it just doesn't work. Um, I, the, the, the protocol, like the saying I, I go by is yes, a longer, slower approach, because at the end of the day, if you got a headache, um, you got a headache, we take two Panadol tablets and that cures our headache. There's no need for us to take the whole packet. Mm. You know, it doesn't do anything extra for us except probably put some strain on our insides, you know? So there's no real need to go and surpass that. But you wouldn't be taking two Panadols to cure a headache while also staying dehydrated and highly stressed. <laughs> like you would do the other things to support getting rid of a headache. That, that, that's a very good point as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what smart people would do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. If in doubt, my, my method's always been if in doubt, max it out. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That actually, I shit you not, that used to be, that used to be my method when I was like full blown, like flexible dieting, like counting every day, all that shit. And uh, I would, whenever I'd go out to eat, I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm going to hit these numbers right. Fuck it. If in doubt, just max them out. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you're naturally a skinny dude. Yeah. So for you, you want to. That's true. There's, That's what I mean. Like if you look at someone like yourself, Dean, right? Naturally skinny dude, soccer, soccer player. Um, 
you know, they're they're hard structures to build on because of your metabolism. Yeah, you had a very yeah. I'm lucky now that I sit down all day. It helps, but um, the thing that I found for me is that I'm I'm I, I reach a point where I'm resistant to like consistent gain because like as I eat more, I kind of just do more because it's naturally the way that I've always done things, being more of a, an athletic sort of sport. Um, but I think that's just... So your energy expenditure naturally increases as you eat more food, you're saying? Yeah. You know, and, I, and I have a, a low predisposition to gain fat because I've always been lean throughout my entire adolescence. So yeah. my opportunity for fatness is probably diminished compared to some people, mm. um, which I think is actually pretty com- a common thing that I see is like, you know, if, you, if you've been relatively lean through adolescence and also quite active, your ability to get fat becomes reduced because you just don't have the amount of cells there that other people have that have been fat during their childhood. But don't you think as well that's also a, you know, a tribute to as well that you know you guys like the slow approach of putting on muscle, quality muscle. Um, I think that's why you're always both very lean. You know, even when you're in off-season, Dean, like you're still very lean. Um, and people say that to me too, they're like, oh, you know, you you always die. Like people think my diet is super clean year round. It's like, no, I just, you know, because I'm not really looking to really push the numbers and put on 10 kilos in an off season. Um, that's always kind of, I've just naturally kept in shape that way. Mm. Yeah, the other thing too is, is it's just like the drug protocol, more food and more calories doesn't equal more muscle. Like muscle, you know, muscle is accrued at a rate that's relatively controlled. So, and we know that you don't need a massive surplus to achieve that. Now, as you get heavier, you obviously require more calories because your calorie demand goes up. But the actual calorie amount that you require for the surplus to distribute that towards growth, it's pretty small. It's a couple of hundred. So, like, it's the guys that go from eating 3,000 calories to, like, I'm going to grow tomorrow. Let's eat 4,500. Yes. But yeah, there's, like, at least 1,000 calories in that that you do not eat. Yeah. That, 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 that's one thing, too, that I've, I've actually realized probably the last two years. Um, I'm probably eating less now than what I was, say, two years ago. Right, um, and I'm much bigger now, much better body composition now. Why? Because my body's actually utilizing the food correctly. You know, it's not just about eating the numbers. You know, maxing it out, like you said before. It's actually being, you know, calculated with your approach and saying, all right, how much food do I, does actually need to be used here? Um, you know, for the surplus and whatever it is, uh, versus in the past where you know you look at the old school guys and they're just like, yeah, just eat, 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 eat. eat. Where, where if you're eating heaps, for me, what would happen was I'd eat good for like two or three days and eventually that builds up in your stomach. I don't care what anyone says. Like, you know, it, it builds up in that time where you're bloated and you're like, oh, I can't eat today. It's like, because you've got three days worth of food that you usually eat over the whole week sitting in your stomach, it's still there. Mm. And it's probably why you're feeling so bloated and constipated, your, your energy's shit and you're definitely not training well. Like, you know, how many times would you go train after having a massive meal and you're like, oh my God, I feel like dog shit. Mm-hmm. And where if you utilize the food correctly around those training times, you would train very often, you know? Yeah. It's again, this is the message today has just been one, have some foresight. And then secondly, it's longer, lower and slower. Like, cause even the calorie surplus is the same way. If we can build that steadily over time, only a little bit of a surplus, same with volume of training, same with intensity of training, same with drug protocols, like all of those things married up together with just little bits and pieces done repetitively create fantastic results. But it's all well and good eating 10,000 calories for three days. If you eat 2,000 calories for the next four, then your average is probably less than if you just ate five every day. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say, yeah. yeah. Mm. So um, a weakness for me though, um, using ourselves as you know, demonstrators for demonstration for it, 
a weakness for me has always been going up in weight with training. You know, so I'll get fucking real horny and I'll start going hard on a, on a leg press. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, yeah, no, nah, I won't put an extra plate on. I'll put an extra three or four on, you know, because I'm just feeling real good today, you know. Um, when in reality there goes, you know, you, you can easily bust out those reps in that set. But was it the execution you did on the set previously? You know, and that's always been my biggest faulting over the years because, again, seeing Ronnie Coleman T by row fucking 11 plates on a T by row and, and deadlifting fucking, you know, 800 pounds and all this kind of stuff, you're like, oh, I got to get as strong as, as, as I can, like him, like real quick, you know. And again, you look at guys like him that have the best form, that's where sometimes, oh, I can give you a bit of a grunt here and there, which, yes, you can, you know, but if you're doing it every week, trying to slap on 10 kilos aside on the bar every single week, just for the sake of strength progression, um, long term, it's always going to come by to a role. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a tremendous case study now that we have the hindsight of what's happened to him thereafter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, poor bastard. Well, he's just bro- I mean, there's argument for the surgeries that he went under, but it's just you can only tolerate that kind of a beating for so long. Even the Hay How brothers are the same. They're both pretty fucking broken, you know. Oh yeah, man. Like they, they've got some phenomenal lifts. Um, you know, especially Damon and stuff. He's still, I think he's still got some powerlifting records. Today, yeah, I but I mean, like, you know, Adam, Adam's like taking his oblique off the fucking bone. He's they've torn pecs, they've turned triceps, they've torn biceps. Like, they've they're both just beating their systems up. And it's going to be one of those things that maybe like those individuals being brothers are genetically lucky enough that they recover okay and they get through life. But the one thing that they have in their advantage that other people don't is they never ever get extremely heavy. So the toll on their body from those injuries is probably not as bad as what it would be someone still trying to push their weight because they're. They are so super, so superficially um, motivated. Well, they're seven too. They're not pro bodybuilders too. Mm. You know, when we talk about pro bodybuilders, fuck, like it's it's a different ball game. As I said, to you, all this like if you tear your pec when you're um, doing jiu-jitsu, well, that, if you want to be a pro competitor, you would never ever, they would never ever go down that right path for you because you're yeah severely disadvantaged. The consequences are so great. Yeah. Oh yeah, as I said, like if I was if I was training um, like how they train because they just you know they they love bodybuilding in that way as a lifestyle. Well, yeah, I mean, knock knock yourselves out. But you know, for me personally, I just I can't keep, I guess, taking that risk. I'm kind of falling where my love for training on how they train because don't get me wrong, I love that type of training personally. Um, but as I said, like me, just because I love it, isn't optimal for me. And it's just like I said, going back on the tennis thing before, just can't risk it. Yeah, just because you like something doesn't mean it will serve you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, now, Sam, maybe we'll start wrapping it up with some questions we have for you. Cool. Uh, the first one is we like to do something worth sharing with every guest, something that you think would be worth sharing with our audience, maybe like a book or a quote, a philosophy you live by, I don't know, whatever. Or a gym location. Yeah, gym location, maybe. <laughs> My gym in Helensvale, it's going to be called Iron Asylum. Um, now, I, I feel, I don't know, you guys seem pretty nerdy, yeah? <laughs> I'll take that. We have our moments. Yeah, I, I feel you guys are nerds. So, I'm a bit of a nerd in that case where I love, um, you know, superheroes, comic book heroes, all that kind of stuff. So, I called it Iron Asylum because Arkham Asylum was the, the mental place for... for the Batman villains where they, where they go away you know, for all that. So I call it Iron Asylum. Um, so Iron Asylum is a place for me, you know, Batman themes throughout that 
throughout the whole joint. So it's going to be a bit of like a back cave kind of thing. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I guess one thing I want to share with the listeners and the viewers, um, my business kind of has taken off the last 12 months more than ever has. And I guess I'll do that every 12 months anyway. I guess you, know, you always want it to be really progressed, but it's really progressed forward in that way for the things I love doing since I had my own business coach. So I kind of sat down with myself one day and I looked at it and I'm like, well, I've got a coach for bodybuilding. I've got a coach for this and, that and whatever it is. How come I don't have someone I can look at and respect the business world to help me with that? So anyone that wants to kind of, I guess, follow their true dreams where my dream has always been to just have my own gym. Like, I, I don't know why, like, I don't know, uh, you know, not even, this is years ago, I don't even know what I want to do with it. Like, not even for membership purposes, I just want to have my own gym. I know if I became rich and famous, I, the first thing I do when I go build my big, massive mansion would be, where's the gym going to go first, you know? Um, so I feel like it's a big accomplishment for me that I can actually start to kind of live my own dream, not actually be a pro bodybuilder. just my, my dream is actually just to have my own facility and, and build it up that way. So I guess anyone that's kind of sitting there with their business and they're like, shit, you know, how, how come I can't get out of this nine to five job or my, my business is struggling? My, I might be a coach that's sitting in saying, how do I scale my business to make more money coming in or whatever it is? Um, invest your time and money into a, a business coach um, because just that mental freedom for me to kind of look at things as an outsider point of view. And I tell you what, guys, it's been so good since I've had my own business coach in that way too because it's like when I first went to John Davey as an athlete, I didn't know fucking shit, right? Just being told all this information, do this, and you're like, oh, cool, fuck yeah, this is sick, you know? And then you, you go away. Well, now, like, it's, it's very hard to learn something really new. There might be, like, a, you know, a variation of something you might learn and say, oh, yeah, cool, but really it's the same thing with what I, what I knew anyway. Um, or a different, you know, as I said, type of method, whatever it is. But when you're actually learning something completely new that you didn't think of, it's it's really it's really cool to get that feeling back, I guess. Mm-hmm. So my message for the day for the viewers is is, you know, not just necessarily just a business coach, but start investing in other forms of coaches for education to excel in the fields you want to excel in. Yeah, yeah I love it's it. Pretty. Um that's cool. It's great something I'm showing. Are we going we normally have so we have normally have um some fun questions, bro. We've forgotten. We, we have to, maybe we, we, we can normally, pull one from the back, <laughs> like a, a previous one. So like one of them was, if uh, you got arrested and your family and friends weren't told what you did, what would they assume? <laughs> they, they would think I fucking, they would think something just because of my past from my younger years, they would definitely assume something to do with violence, something to do, something like that. I was, I, was, I, was pretty, I was pretty bad back in the day. Like I used to, I was head of security for five years in, in um, Sin City and all that kind of shit. So I, had, I was fighting some big charges and all that kind of shit. So yeah, if they heard I got arrested or there was something like that, they'd straight away think like, oh, he's done something in that regard. He's a but, you know, I'm, I'm not really a hothead anymore. I'm pretty, pretty chilled out now. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd imagine it'd be something to do with that. Okay. <laughs> It just Sam had just gone from on the top of the head like, like King Kong. <laughs> now, back in the day, you may have thrown a straight jab, but now it's just a, just a, a, a hammer fist on top of the head. Now we have a game called Shitty Choices, and you get to choose between two shitty choices. Would you rather A, everyone under 20 dies, or B, everyone over 40 dies? Oh. Everyone under 20. <laughs> that was quick. Really? 
actually. Well, that, that's your daughter, bro. Except Naya. Except Naya. Only because, fuck, man, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just getting old. But fuck, like when, you, when you're growing up now and you remember you, you, when you're under 20 and people are talking, you're like, you don't fucking know anything. Well, now I look at them, I'm like, no, they, they're getting worse. Like I was pretty bad. Mm. I was pretty bad the shit I used to go to and stuff. But I look at the stuff now, what kids and stuff are getting up to and shit. I'm like, man, you know, that, that's what's worrying. Like, you know, I've got a daughter coming up in that same generation. You know, it's fucking scary what you see coming through. So just with, you know, the added impacts of social media and everything like that, what's going on in the world, it's just getting real fucking hectic real quick. Um, that's why I just feel it's more me taking out the younger generation to save them. So we can, yeah, we can kind of bad guy. I don't, I like a bad, like I sound like a bad guy of like a, a superhero movie, you know. Now I've got a bald head and shit. I've got to exterminate all the younger under twenty year olds, you know. <laughs> my initial reaction was to kill the old people because they've lived a good life. But I was thinking, if everyone over forty dies, what happens to like government and military and all multi million? Of course you did. What? I was just thinking they've lived a good life. There, I'll let the young ones go. Yeah, but now, but now that Sam's put his case forward, I'm like, yeah. Imagine living in a world with just the twenty year olds. At the moment, that's, that's, that's what I mean, and, and the people that are coming through now, it, it, oh, fuck, you know, it's gosh, you sound like an old man, Sam. No one would work, these young kids these days, but no one would work, they'd just be walking around with their hands out, going, Where's <laughs> my money? Right. Where's my money? I, I, got, I got told, I got told five years ago, so funny enough, by John, he said, uh, I came to the gym, I had a head shave like this because I had a head shave my whole time, pretty much from my 20s, and um, he said, Mate, you got hair, just, just grow it. Because when you reach old age and you can't grow and you have to shave it, it's not fun. And that's when I realized old age, you know, I, I look at the fucking the clippers like three or four times in the same way. You know, you turn it on and it starts going, and you look and you, you turn it back off and you go, I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Like it was really hard for me to fucking shave it all off. That's when I realized I'm like fucking getting old. I'm getting cranky now. So even like today, when you say that, I'm like, shit, if I want to get rid of all this, like, you know, no hesitation. I'm like, you get fucking get rid of all the 20 year olds. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wow, I'm getting old. Fuck. <laughs> One thing that I do like about the younger generation is that they're less homophobic, they're less racist. That's true. They're like, yeah, so they're more environmentally aware. Yeah, there's oh, yeah, lots of both. Yeah, so that, that, that's the only benefit there. I feel like the only reason why these political views and racism views and just all this kind of bullshit that just keeps fucking dragging on. Um, I feel like it's more of a, of a thing from the old school than what is the new school. Yeah. yeah, all right. If people wanted to get in touch with you for coaching or just to check your stuff out, how would they go about that? Uh, I'm just always through, you know, your social medias and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Sam Pierce Official is the main name, so you'd be able to find me through all that kind of stuff there. Um, obviously, the website will drop for Iron Asylum and everything. That'll be all through my, my socials anyway, but just like anything these days, the business card is social media. The business card, the resume, the, the point of contact, the mobile number, emails, it's all really just social media now. So Sam Pierce Official is where you can find me. Cool. And when did you say the gym is due to open? It was meant to be open the next week or two. But council want their cut, ah. which I didn't really take into account. Um, I did take into account. I just didn't take into account how much it adds up. When in reality, I thought it was just gyms that get targeted for... Um, like building approvals and stuff like that, but it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you want to open a retail shop or whatever it is. You know, it's you've got to pay your cut to the council. So that puts, you back, 
put you back out six weeks because for that application to go through and everything like that, it's about six to eight weeks. Right. So that was put in start of this week. So I just got to wait it out now. Well, by the time this gets released, maybe your your gym will be open. Yeah. So somewhere around. Yeah, I want to. I want at least want to open by the time the shows are on. You know, um, I, I kind of want that deadline because I've got a few people coming up and stuff for the nationals, and I want to come check it out as well because they're obviously down in Sydney and Central Coast and stuff. So I want to come check it out. So this is season B, twenty twenty one. Season A. But season A is going ahead. Yeah, four weeks. Oh. Well, three weeks for Queensland. Oh. They really keep their nationals. Four weeks. They better keep the nationals in Queensland. I I've got a suspicion they will be. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I don't have any kind of inside word, but um, when I talk to John, um, I kind of just piece piece things together. So again, I could be completely wrong. This is what I feel is going to happen long term. I feel like the Arnolds and the Nationals will be eventually moved up to Queensland. Mm. But the sole reason that, as we know, like the best athletes are in Queensland, like it's very strong now for bodybuilding, it's just how it is, right? Um, Melbourne's probably second, Victoria's second, you know, but up here where, especially Southeast Queensland, it's very strong for bodybuilding. So what I feel is going to happen is, is that the Arnold's and the NW show season B will be moved up into Queensland. Arnold's, I reckon, will go into the exhibition centre in Brisbane there. Uh, they would in Melbourne, they're just kind of going to swap the venues. Um, and I reckon the reason why they brought back that bikini pro show that they're going to do, or they're not going to do now, they, they'll plan to do, they'll plan to do that in season B. So what my suspicion is, is that they're going to do that, get that off the ground because it's an easier show to manage, make it a success, then add classic physique pros, add open pros, you know, and, and then make it like an Australian... Remember the Australian Grand Prix, Grand Prix yeah. pro show years ago before the Arnolds? Mm. That's what I feel they're going to bring back in the end of the year. So then we've got kind of two pro shows here in Australia. That'd be cool. That's my tip. Gold Coast. That's, 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 my, that's my hot tip. I could be completely wrong, but that's, that's what I think is going to happen. Well, that's, something, that's something worth sharing. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Exclusive <laughs> on the Flex Success podcast. That's funny. Uh, well, thanks for your time today and sharing bits of your brain with us, Sam. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I always make time for you guys, you know, so um, if we have a call up again, let me know. I'm always happy to come down and chat. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Been a pleasure.